Okay, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning. We've just kind of been going through this book chapter by chapter. Um, as I mentioned several times before, this is a new church. It was only about six months old when Paul uh, wrote this first letter to them. Uh, this was written around 51 A.D., and if my memory serves correct, Paul was born about the same year that Jesus was born. So Paul would have been probably in his early 50s at this time. Uh, he wrote this letter to this church, that young church. And as we found out a couple of weeks ago, almost from the get-go, they were being persecuted. We read Acts chapter 17, where Paul started the church at Thessalonica, and it was almost right away that they drugged Jason and some people out of his household, and they persecuted him uh, for having the church there. And so they, they started on, on day one being persecuted, having Satan throwing things at them. But as we're going to go through uh, chapter 3 this morning, there's a couple different times that Paul uses the word joy. And that, that just kind of strikes me as different. Joy during persecution. But they, they experienced that and they lived that. And so Paul was anxious here. I guess, I don't know if that's a good word or not, anxious. Paul, was, Paul wanted to know how they were doing. So here in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, he wanted to go back there and, and visit with them and see how they were doing, but he chose, excuse me, he chose rather to stay in Athens and send Timothy to go and to check on them to see how they were doing. So we're going to pick up the story here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse number 1. <clears throat> but we, we can see before we start this that Paul always had a great concern for the church. Not just this particular one, this particular congregation, but we know that Paul had a, a strong a desire for the church as a whole. If you go back with me just for a quick moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you know how this goes. In verse number 23, Paul talks about how he suffered, <clears throat> excuse me, he suffered greatly as a Christian. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was all these different things. But he says in verse number 27, in weariness and in toil, and in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And look what he says in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, Besides all of the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. So this is Paul's attitude towards the churches. A lot of those that he helped plant or that he helped start, he had a great desire for them. He had a great uh, care about them and how they uh, interacted, how they responded with each other, whether they were growing or not, or whether they were being persecuted. Paul had a great concern about the church here in Thessalonica. So going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1, he says this, 
Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith. Paul says in verse 1, I held out as long as I could, but when I couldn't take it any longer, I decided that I would stay here and that I would send Timothy over to you so that he could go and check up on you. Now he calls Timothy by three different things. He says, first of all, he is our brother. And the church of God is exactly that, aren't we? We are a family. If you are a Christian this morning, you are my brother or you are my sister in Christ. And that's the connection that we need to have. Now physically, maybe you're not too close with your family. Maybe you have grown apart over the years or maybe uh, like some families, one brother lives in uh, California and one brother lives in Florida and one sister lives in Maine and you just don't ever see each other. But the God, the church of Christ needs to be the family of God. We are a close-knit community. And Paul calls Timothy his brother. But he also calls him here in verse number 2, he calls him the, uh, a minister of God. The word minister, we get our, the word deacon from. It actually means to serve tables, like a waiter. Do you ever think of your waiter as being a deacon when you go to Frisch's and you order a big buy, a big fry, uh, big boy. a big boy in onion rings, and this person brings it out to you? They are your deacon. They are your waiter or your waitress. And that's the way Paul identifies Timothy as. In other words, as a Christian, you have to be a worker, not a shirker. A Christian is one who is busy doing the Lord's work, serving other people. Man, the best way to tell people that you are a Christian is by serving them, by doing things for them, helping them out. And the things that we used to do on a daily basis 10 or 20 years ago, they, they don't happen anymore. Opening doors for, for elderly women, helping them with their car to Walmart, or whatever the case may be, those things go a long, long way because we are workers of God. But he also calls Timothy our fellow laborer in the gospel. Timothy was a preacher. He was one that whenever he had the opportunity, he made sure that he told someone about Jesus. But Paul was concerned about how their faith was holding up. He was concerned about them being um, in trial, under fire, if you will. So he had a concern about them, and so he sent Timothy to go and to check on them. But I like what Paul says here in verse 2. There were two things he wanted Timothy to check on. It wasn't their physical growth. It wasn't if they got their building done yet or not. It wasn't if they uh, did this or did that. The two things that Paul wanted Timothy to check is to make sure that they were established and for Timothy to encourage them. And so I think that kind of gives us an idea of what we ought to be doing with each other. 
We need to make sure that we are established, and I think that's the correct order. Paul says, I want you to first establish them. In other words, make sure they're in the faith, make sure they're grounded in the faith, make sure they're pointing in the right direction, and then encourage them to be faithful unto death. And that's what we ought to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we ought to do as a church here in Sydney, Ohio, is to make sure that we're all grounded, that our brothers and sisters are pointing in the right direction, and then encourage them to go in that direction. Now, if it was the other way around, that would be mixed up, wouldn't it? If a brother or sister was doing something wrong, we wouldn't encourage them to continue that. We would encourage them to stop and to establish themselves and then go in that right direction. And so that's what Paul wanted Timothy to do. So he was curious to see how they were going to respond to what he asked them to do. He goes on in verse number 3. He says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Paul said, don't let these afflictions shake you up. It's just going to happen. It's just a matter of fact. It's a matter of life. I'm trying to think, is it 1 Peter? Yes, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 16. Peter says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Just rest assured, brother and sister, that as a Christian, you are going to suffer persecution. Paul tells Timothy that in uh, 1 Timothy, yes, all who live godly will suffer persecution. He didn't say might. He said maybe. He said they will suffer persecution. And so Paul says in verse 3, I just want to make sure that these, these new converts here are not being shaken uh, by the persecution that they were receiving. In verse number 4, he says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would also suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. See, this church was not unique to them being persecuted. It was everywhere at this particular point. And they were being persecuted by everyone. By Satan, he was throwing darts at them. By the Jewish people, because they were changing their, their religious uh, atmosphere, they were throwing darts at Christians as well. And so Paul says, just know that it's happening. You're not unique to that situation. The persecution is going on everywhere. In verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul said, I, I knew, I suspected what I would find, but I wanted to send Timothy, I wanted to send someone to you so I could get a report as to how you were doing. But as I was reading the verse 5 this week, there's a dangerous doctrine called once saved, always saved. Paul kind of poo-poos that in verse 5, doesn't he? He says, listen, I, I want to send Timothy to you 
because I want to know your faith because I want to make sure that our labor was not in vain. In other words, you can fall away from your salvation, can't you? You can be saved. You can be a Christian. And you can throw that away. And Paul said, I was a little bit concerned about that. And so I wanted to send Timothy to you to make sure that our faith, that our, that our labor, that our work that we poured into you, our blood, our blood, sweat, and tears was not something that was just in vain. It didn't have any value to it. So the idea of once saved, always saved is a foolish idea. It's dangerous to have that thought in your mind that I am okay no matter what I do. Because Paul sure didn't think that way. My love, verse 6. But before we get there, Paul had a concern for several other churches too. It just wasn't the church at Thessalonica. He says the same thing to them, to the church at Galatia in Galatians 4.11. He said the same thing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 16. I wanted to check on you to make sure that our labor was not in vain, that we were doing the right thing, that we were preaching the gospel uh, to, the, to the point that you understood it and that you accepted it. And so Paul was concerned about them. But as we see in verse number 6, Timothy comes back. And man, I could just almost see Paul. He's there at the post office. He's checking his mailbox every day so he can get this letter back to see exactly how Timothy, what Timothy found out. And we have it here in verse number 6. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and he has brought good news of your faith and your love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Paul said, I got good news. Whenever I go to the mailbox, it's usually bills. Some guy named Bill keeps sending me letters, and I don't like it very well, but that's not good news, is it? I like to get every once in a while, get those little checks in the mail. Back home when we used to, um, our phone company was a co-op, and so we actually was there like 10 years, so we actually owned part of this co-op. And so every year, about July, I get a check for $10. Woohoo! That's good news. That's better than a ten-dollar bill, right? A doctor bill. So every every month around J uh, July, I kind of look forward to getting the mail so I can get that little ten, twelve-dollar check. It just makes my day. But anyway, that's I won't pay you or charge you for that. So Paul was just really anxious. Paul was was happy. He was excited because Timothy brought back good news of how they were doing. How were they doing? Well, their faith and their love increased. I mean, that's what a preacher wants to hear. A preacher wants to see a person that he helped convert somehow in the process, and he can see where that person was six months ago and where that person is now. I mean, that just warms a preacher's heart up more than anything, is to see a person growing spiritually when they're asking questions, when, when they're deep in thought and they, they, they're thinking, you can see them, you can see that they study, you can see all those things. 
That is encouraging to a preacher or to anyone that it helps in your conversion. Paul said, I heard good news that your faith and your love has increased and that you still remember us. We like that, don't we? I mean, I'm glad Paul came, wouldn't you? Aren't you? Aren't you glad Paul and Silas came to our little town of Thessalonica and shared with us the gospel? Aren't you glad of that? I don't know who started the church here in Sydney 80-some years ago, but aren't you glad they came through? Aren't you glad somebody shared the gospel to the, to the people in Sydney, Ohio, and here we are 80-some years later, and we're still presenting and sharing the gospel to people in Sydney? I mean, I'm glad somebody took the time and effort to make sure that that happened. And that's the way they felt about Paul. They had a great desire to be able to see Paul once again, just as he had that same desire to see them. And so Paul had a great reaction to what he had heard. He says in verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul said, yeah, we're being persecuted. Yeah, we're being torn down. Yes, the devil is just uh, nipping at our heels. But this word that Timothy brought back to us was a great comfort in our distress. I mean, it just came at the right time. And so Paul was grateful for them. He says in verse number 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. There's that word joy, that unexpressible joy that Paul had for them even during persecution, even during the tough, bad times. They were still joyful. They had something to be thankful for. James tells us, is it James chapter 1 in verse number 4? James chapter 1, or verse 2, My brethren, count it all a joy when you fall into various trials. Hey, that's difficult to do. Yoo-hoo, I don't feel very good today. Thank you, Lord. It's hard to be happy during those difficult times, but James says, just count it a joy because we know that this, this life, the things going on in this life, is just really temporary. It's only short-lived to begin with. We have that hope of what we're going to receive in the hereafter. Taking this body and shedding it away and living uh, with God and with Jesus for eternity, that's the hope that we have. That's what drives me. That's what should drive you as a Christian, not the things that we have now, but the things that we're going to have in the future. And Paul was trying to tell them that, count it a joy. We have joy, even though we have difficulties in our life. And then towards the end of the chapter, starting in verse number 11, Paul says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our ways to you. But I tell you what, if you have those two individuals on your side, you are not going to lose. It shows the unity of God and Jesus. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct 
your ways. Man, what a great encouragement today. If you have anything else directing your path, you're going down the wrong one. You need to have God. You need to have Jesus directing and driving your life. In verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. You probably say it way too much maybe, but it seems like love is just the foundation. Love is where everything starts. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love will allow you to look past your brother and sister's faults and find something that we can agree on and work on those types of things. Unconditional love, agape love, those are the things that we need to have as the family of God. And then verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, we've been talking about that, haven't we, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. We can have stability as a family of God, and that stability comes with our love for each other. When we are spiritually grounded, when we have become holy, when we have become set apart for the service of God, we can really look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tell me about you, I kind of look forward to that now. I look forward to that day in which the earth is going to split open, the sky is going to split open. For some people, that's going to be a scary thing. But for the Christian, we should almost look forward to that. Being able to hear that trumpet blow, being able to see Jesus come with his angels, and we as Christians will rise to meet him in the air. You can either be scared to death of that, or you can look forward to that. It all depends really on your relationship with God. And so I've always said this recently, it seems to me like that Jesus is going to return soon. When you look at the earth, you look at the world and the things that is going on, you just wonder how much more God can take. And so look forward to that day. Look forward to that hope that we have as Christians that we can be with our Heavenly Father forever. That gives me hope. Paul was encouraged because he found out that the church had been growing in their faith and in their love towards one another. How, how are we, as the Church of Christ in Sydney, Ohio, how, are we increasing in our faith? Are we increasing in our love towards each other and towards our Heavenly Father? 